Tonight you came, and I'm glad you're here. And we have been in a series here now for a week, heading into part two tonight, Counter Culture. This is a, a wonderful term. There's a lot of meanings behind it. There's a lot of that you can pull from it. And in our context, I believe there's a lot that God wants to teach us uh, through this idea. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, Stu's message last week was wonderful. And if you did not have a chance to be here last Monday, I would encourage you to check out the podcast, hear his heart. I'm going to allude to a few things uh, throughout my few minutes here tonight of what he talked about. But my name's Tim, and uh, I am glad to be here. I have the privilege of leading this wonderful group of leaders, along with this uh, amazing team here at First Assembly, who God has so graciously allowed us to, to, to be together for quite a while now as a core, and we have built such trust and love for each other. Who's a part of a local church in Calgary? Put your hand up. Put your hand up. Yeah, so many, so many. Even this church counts as well, obviously. A local church. Who's new to Calgary? Who's new to the city? There's a few. Yeah, we, we love that you're here. We welcome you. And my last question is, who's here for the first time tonight at Tila tonight? First time. Yeah, can we welcome our guests? Let's welcome them. Amazing. I want to, uh, I want to unpack... A thought tonight, some teaching in scripture that, of course, can be tense. We could talk about it in so many different ways, and we could look at it with, uh, with different lenses. But often, if not all the time, the best place to go for answers and for revelation is the scripture. And in the scriptures, God can reveal new things to us each and every day. Whether we read the cha- same chapter or verse over and over again, we can pull something new from it. And tonight I want to talk about this idea of, of generosity, this idea of, of giving. Specifically, for a bit of time, talking about tithing, talking about this area of finance. How many of you in this room would say that finances consumes your mind at some point in the week. All of us. Come on, don't be, don't be kidding me here. This is a tough subject because money can control our lives. It can control our decision-making. It can control how we go about each day based on finance based on the things that we think we have or think we need or the lack that we think is in front of us or the wealth or plethora of finance that we believe we have in our bank accounts. All of us come from different stories, different experiences, different teaching. We were brought up in different ways. But one thing's for sure is that scripture is clear that uh, the love of money could be the root of, of, of so much evil. And for all of us, I believe that even through tonight, and we're going to maybe even spend a whole series on, on this topic of, of finance and, 
and investing and giving and, 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 and uh, what, what God says about it. But I just want to tap into a few thoughts tonight based on this counterculture series so that we can all leave here feeling encouraged and feeling challenged with how we perceive these things. Who's with me? Yeah, you with me tonight? It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. You've all heard it. It's in the Old Testament. Well, not all of you, but many of you have heard it in the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. I want to read this. I want to read this to you as a, as a foundation for where we're going to go over these next few minutes together. Chapter 3, verse 6. It's up on the screen there. It's a heavy passage, but there's a great theme all through it and some real truths that God wants to teach his people, all of us here tonight. Starting in verse 6. I, the Lord... Do not change. Isn't that good news? Right there? I'm glad to hear that that is the case. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Other versions say haven't been destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? The Lord comes back with a counter question. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do you, we rob you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse in the whole nation of you because you are robbing me. This is an interesting verse right there. God's clearly saying that it's me you're robbing, but in fact, it's, it's us, the people that are getting robbed in the end. Verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough or not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Everyone take a deep breath. I'll tell you, I want to I speak on the subject of, of control, controlling the current in our lives. Controlling the current there's some things in our life, in all of our lives, that can not happen and can only come to pass when, when we take this thought and we allow the current that God wants for us to actually take place and actually flow properly. This area of finance is no different, if not one of the most important pieces of this whole, whole point. The Israelites specifically in the book of Malachi, had been a people that have lost touch with what God had in store for them. They had become lazy. They had become selfish. They had created a reality for them and around them that was, let's do as little as we can and receive as much back as we can. A very selfish perspective and flow to life. I don't know about you, but I've had seasons where that was my reality. I think we all can say that at times in our lives, we have experienced 
moments or weeks or years or seasons where selfishness crept up in a way that we didn't even realize how overwhelming it was to consider what was important to us and how much it, it, it wrapped around what we needed and what I needed in that moment. These people, the Israelites, had broken faith in the covenant, keeping God uh, away. And they were suffering the consequences of, of that broken connection. That's really what this passage is referring to. The theme in this whole book of Malachi, if you want to know where it is, for some of you, it's the last book of the Old Testament, moving into the New Testament. But this whole theme could be summed up in one word, and that's this return, return. It's almost like an invitation to coming back to. There was this broken flow, this disconnect that had taken place that I believe the only solution for these people and the only solution for us is ultimately a life of faith when it comes to this area. I want all of us to understand tonight that God has a solution for every shortage that is represented here tonight. Whether it's a shortage of finance, a shortage of friendship, of, of connection, a shortage of, of, of job, career, a shortage of joy. My context tonight, we will land on finance, but this involves, I believe, all areas of our life. And the truth is, and we can be so excited about this, is that God has a solution for all our shortages. Amen? Every single one. Every single one. Malachi comes into this series here on week two, gives us some instruction as we gather around this theme, counterculture. Counterculture, simply put, is, is a way of life different from the prevailing social normal. A way of life that's different from what we're pressured into. This can be a negative term. It can be a term of rebellion, but it can also be a term of fighting and standing for the things that you believe in, the things that you know are right, the things that you believe God has called you to specifically in this context. Being counterculture does not mean being people that are judgmental or being people that lack love, as Stu mentioned so beautifully earlier tonight. But we can still consume ourselves with, with, with love and acceptance and hope and and joy for those around us while still holding on to things that we know God has asked of us. We do not have to get away from those things. We do not have to look at what God's called us to and ignore that or allow ourselves to be consumed by what the world is pressuring us into. And I want to touch on that for a few minutes tonight because I believe each and every one here tonight, can receive some revelation in this area of finance. Hear me this evening that I believe God wants to pour out his provision into each of our lack, into our shortages. I have them, you have them, you probably know many people that do as well, that are carrying things in their life that they want to get rid of, areas that they wish they had more of, things that they remember they were once fulfilled in but have not been able to experience that joy or that grace in such a long time. But tonight, I want to remind you that God wants to 
pour his provision into your lack. Malachi had a solution for a shortage. Here are these two words that I believe will help us put this into context tonight up on the screen. Shortage and supply. Shortage and supply. God promises to supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ, the Bible says. But the big question that we need to ask is then why is there still so much lack in the lives of his kids, his children? What's well, a good question? I've asked that before. I'm sure you have as well. Why do I lack? Why do I feel overwhelmed in this area of my life? Why do my feelings so empty over here? These are great questions. I want to pick this up by reminding each of us, who's from Calgary here, who's been around for at least five years in Calgary, many in this room. We all remember 2013, the flood. Did any, was anyone affected personally by that flood, like your home was flooded? Is there anyone in this room? I knew quite a few friends. There's a few, yeah. Whether it was here or High River or Canmore, many regions of our, of our province were affected greatly by this flood. They estimate that there was billions and billions of gallons of water that flooded through our city, either through the rain that came directly on the region or through the rivers that flowed through, the Bow River, the Elbow River. It did a lot of damage. It created havoc in our city. There was, there was a flood that, that, that came a few years even before that that didn't even compare. We thought it was massive, but then 2013 came and we realized what damage can be done through a flood. Billions of gallons of water came through. They said that at the height of, of that flood in June there, at the middle to end of June, in one 24-hour span, there was over 13 inches of rain that fell. 13 inches in 24 hours. That's just one of the 16 or 17 days that we were affected greatly. 13 inches. You can just imagine what that created. Coincidentally, in 2013, just south of us in California, there was the drought of all droughts. Actually, it was the driest year recorded in Los Angeles history in over 140 years, 2013. In 365 days, it only rained 3.6 inches total. So put that into perspective. Here in 24 hours, we've got 13 inches. There in 365 days, they got 3.6 inches in one year. That to me is a major disconnect. Shortage and supply. Are you with me? Do you, know, do you understand what I'm alluding to here? There was more than enough water to end that drought, but it didn't get to the right destination. We're not that far away from California. In fact, the way the, 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 the sky works and the clouds work and the rain systems work, we can easily, both the state of California and the province of Alberta can experience and be a part of the same storm. That's how close we are. That's how much rain can travel. We can be affected by the same system. 
I know nothing about weather, but this is what I'm told. So we're not that far away, and here we are with a plethora of water that, in fact, I heard that all they needed was really the water that we had experienced in those 16, 17 days would have taken care of all the drought of Los Angeles in that whole year. They just needed, you know, a few billion gallons of water, and we had that in just a few weeks You can have more than enough of what you need, but if it's not heading in the right direction, you'll have a shortage. Even in the presence of an abundance, an abundant supply. This to me is a very profound thought because it relates to our lives. That's what was happening to the Israelites here in Malachi where the heavens were so full with this rain. The heavens are so full with with peace that each of us need. The heavens are so full with the joy that we're looking for. Heavens are so full with the finance, the provision, supernaturally. It's all there. There's an abundance. An abundant supply for each person, but at times we can't get to it. We can't get to where where the need is. How can we experience such dramatic shortage in the presence of, God's unlimited supply. There must be a problem, I guess, with, with the hookup. There must be a disconnect that's taken place. And that's a reality for, for you, for me, for every person that would consider themselves followers of Jesus. Often we look at what's in front of us and, and the provisions of God and we don't recognize that there's some work to do in order to tap into the fullness of what he has for us, all of us. Something must not be flowing right. And imagine this, even in in context of this, the flood of 2013 up in heaven where they're chatting away and the angels and someone says, hey, can you throw a bunch of uh, water over, over Calgary? And that's what they heard. So the water comes down and, you know, the joke is they send millions of, of, of gallons of water to, to Calgary. But in fact, oh, my goodness, I thought, you, I thought you said Calgary. You said California. I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> a little bit of a disconnect in communication from the heavens. Obviously, that's not how it works. But often we can be disconnected through communication with, with, with Jesus and with, with, with revelation that he has for us through scripture based on looking at our own needs and what's in front of us in the moment. How does this happen? Because there's more than enough wealth in this city, in this country, even in this world. Why isn't it getting to the right places? That is always the classic question about God's existence. Why is there so much poverty if God exists. You can see this in your own life with time spent. Just look at that specific area of your life. You and I have the same amount of hours in our day that the most brilliant people do. We all share a 24-hour clock, yet why is it that some people get way more done than us? 
than me? Why can they be so productive? Yet a week can go by, and I feel like at times something or nothing ever gets done. Who's with me? All of us. Or a day will go by, like, what did I do today? Yet we all share the same clock. And, and there's many that get so much accomplished every single day. If you came to me for, for marriage advice, I know some of you are married in this room. Some of you are getting married, and some of you want to be married. There are some things that I always allude to, and if you, if you ask me for advice, I always look at some of these, these core principles, these core values that I know are tried and tested. Like, number one, be, be first in your relationship to say sorry. Who's with me on that one? Absolutely. Never go to bed angry. All the young marrieds are saying yes to that one. The problem is, if we hold true to that, it might be a few nights before we get any sleep. But it's worth it. And thirdly, you know, choose a day each week to spend quality, thought-out time with your spouse or with your relationship the person that you're dating. There are some things in your life that you don't, that if you don't take control, you won't do it. You have to take control. You have to be intentional with these areas. You have to recognize that God has put us, each of us, in a place to make decisions, to allow ourselves each day to decide what we're going to do where we're going to go, what we're going to say, how we're going to spend our money, how we're going to spend our time, who we're going to spend our time with. Each of us has been given that ability, all, all people. That's what the Lord did when he created humanity, gave us free will. And there's some things in life that if you don't take control, you just, you just won't do them as best and as properly and as proficient as you can. For example, the area of exercise. For fitness to happen, it has to be a priority in your life. You can't just say, well, when I feel like it, I'm going to work out. That's going to get you nowhere. It's got to be intentional. You have to take control of that area in order to see results. For example, your, your spiritual life. Creating specific time in your day or in your week and season to build relationship with Jesus, to invest in that experience with our Father up above. He's waiting for it. We have to take intentional time and spend that with him in order to see results, in order to see that relationship build. And of course, the area of finances. If you don't control your finances, you, you'll always be broke. Amen? It does not matter how little or how much you have. If you're not in control, you will end up broke. Make a budget. Tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. That is a huge but simple principle. If you don't have a budget, you're in trouble, period. All of us can attest to that. Every single person. Here's what happens. You start to analyze your life and you realize that there's some cracks. 
there's some disconnect, there's some things that just aren't working out the way that you would hope for. You're in a place of shortage, and so you start asking for more provision, more supply from God. We've been there. All of us have woken up in the morning or gone to bed at night saying, God, you need to provide, you need to provide, you need to, you need to help me in this area. Please, Lord, I, I'm lacking. But it's not a matter of, of provision all the time. I believe that. It's often a matter of priority. Sometimes when you perceive as a lack of provision, it's actually a lack of priority in your life. The things that you are putting as the most important how you're prioritizing, what you're investing into, how you're spending your time, all the things that I have mentioned earlier. You had enough time this week or this weekend, but you, and we've all been there, you spent all Saturday watching a whole season of some episode or some show on Netflix, and you wonder where your time went. Well, you just spent eight hours on the couch. I know that speaks to someone tonight. Whatever it is, all of us have been there, every single one. And that's fine that you did that. That's not, I'm, not, I'm not judging you. I've been there. But I'm just alluding to the fact that God gave you and me the hours that we need. He deposited this into our account. We just, we just misused it. Took advantage of the provision that God has actually already put in front of us. Taking responsibility for the flow of our life, controlling that current, the rhythm of our every day, is such an important piece to living a life full with Jesus. If your life is in a place of shortage, I believe it's because the current is going in the wrong direction. We can back that way up. Let's go to that arrow pointing down with, sh- with shortage. This is a very important thing to look at right here. In Malachi, the Israelites had broken that current of faith. We read it there in Scripture. And I bet if you were to ask God tonight, he would show you where you've allowed that current to head in the wrong direction as well. Often we're not taught these things. But I had parents, wonderful parents who loved Jesus, who faithfully taught me and my siblings what it meant to take what God has given us and to use it wisely. And to take advantage of all the provisions of God and to, and to make sure that he was given the first of, of all of the fruit of our lives. My parents did that for me and I believe there's many in this room that you had received that same sort of upbringing as well. You take a loony, for example. When I was a kid, they didn't have loonies. They came a little bit later, but I remember the, the $1 bills. Anyone remember $1 bills? The Canadian $1 bills. And like so many, I'm sure, in this room, mom and dad or maybe grandma and grandpa or your Sunday school teacher taught you that the first of everything that you made, the tithe, which means 10th, 10%, goes to 
to Jesus goes to the church. Ever since I can remember, that was something that was ingrained into my life where something as simple as a dime in relation to a, a loony was not mine to begin with. And I need to go back to the source, back to the one who provided all things for me. Even I can see now with my children, I'm starting to encourage them and teach them and, and allow them to look at this principle as something that made sense. Oh, a $1 bill. There it is. Is this real? That's worth a lot of money. Some, some people in this room have never seen one of those before. <laughs> Mikey. Incredible. This whole idea of 10%, returning that, it's, and, I, and I've heard this response back to me. You mean I have to give 10% of my money back to God? A dime on every dollar belongs to him? That's a pretty expensive uh, cover charge to be in the church. We've heard that. I'm sure we've maybe even thought that or experienced some emotion behind that thought. But I would say that, you know, being blown away by this 10% is, is, is such a, th- a silly thing. Because, in fact, the other 90% that we're given is really a blessing from the Lord to begin with. And it's all His anyways. Being blown away by this 10% really takes us away from seeing that that 90 wouldn't be in our laps being used to and trusted with without the provision of God anyways. All of us carry so much responsibility in this area and reminding you that what is, what is God's needs to stay with him is something that I believe can unlock some incredible things in each of your lives tonight. And I know that's not easy to hear. And I know it's controversial at times. And the way people look at the scriptures and how they unpack that and what they think of that Old Testament teaching versus New Testament covenant. Is it really about 10%? Is it about living a life of generosity? Well, I'll explain that to you in just a few minutes. But Malachi says... Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Perhaps we can see the New Testament equivalent to the storehouse as as the local church. The place where we're fed spiritually. That place where outreach happens. Where we allow social justice and, 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 and the things that God's called us to to take place. Most importantly, and obviously there's a place where Jesus established by giving his life to. The local church, which is you and me. It's crazy that something so small can block that proper current to flow in each of our lives. This is not just my opinion or even an Old Testament principle, but Jesus alluded to it as well, and he spoke favorably of the tithe in in the book of Matthew. And the context is amazing because he talked about, you know, practicing that we better as Christians practice the the weightier matters of, of the law, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. And of course, those are 
so important and the most important. But he refers to it as this. You, we need to practice these things as we always talk about from stage here. But he says it in verse 23 of chapter 23. Do this without neglecting the tithe. So they work in partnership together. One is, one is, is, is very important. The others are obviously the heartbeat of Jesus, but there are some things that still need to take place. That There's a rhythm that even Christ calls us to in the New Testament to be aware of. Working hand in hand together. Money represents trust. It really does. And where we put our money is where we put our trust often. My challenge to all of you tonight is that each of us would put our trust in him even before our rent payment. That we put our trust in Jesus even before that new wardrobe that you're wearing tonight or even before those 10 coffees that you're going to have this week even before the the five or six meals that you're going to eat out over the next few days this is a reality that all of us face and we're pressured into our the culture around us that says put our money to the things that are we value and that will give us the most gain and that will make us the most happy and that will give us the most fulfillment when in fact the Lord asks us before all of these things that our first fruits and our best fruits and at the very beginning that we would give back to him what he is ultimately his, what we owe to him. I love golf. Anyone like golf in this room? Golf is, is God's game. It's, it's going to be played in heaven. There's going to be the best golf courses in heaven. And I've taken a few lessons in my life. Not many. I need a lot more. Pastor James, is uh, he thinks he's a better golfer than me. Um, but in fact, I won this year. <laughs> but golf, golf has... Uh, uh, a, a tagline to it. it it's you know a minute to learn a lifetime to to master and i remember one lesson that i had i wanted to learn you know learn how to get get the ball straighter and farther and all this teacher taught me on those the, the first few lessons was my grip figuring out my grip and 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 location on the club and how to hold it and it drove me crazy it drove me crazy because I just wanted to get to what mattered most, and that was how fast I could swing that club and how straight I could get that ball down the fairway. But he kept coming back to the grip, getting back to the grip. And that's so important, even in this area of tithing or of giving joyfully and generously back to Jesus. The tithe is the place where God gets your grip right, opens your hands so you don't hold on to stuff to the point where stuff ultimately has a hold on you. That's how I look at it. The giving the first fruits to Jesus is just correcting some of the most important things will, that will then affect everything else in this game of life, for lack of better terms. It doesn't take faith to give God what you have left. It takes faith to put him first.
very, very first. I'll never forget when my basement flooded just a few months ago. Even Juan and Angie, are they here tonight? Up in the booth? They're going through that right now, right before they left for Colombia, their basement flooded last week. But in the summer, our basement, uh, I had just finished renovating it. Brand new, carpet was two and a half weeks old. Fresh paint on the walls. It was a beautiful basement. Some of you have been there. And uh, I remember coming home, if you guys remember in, Ju- in July, that torrential rainstorm that we had here. Not the flood of 2013, the, the, the downpour of 2016. <laughs> Summer. It was in Woodbine. It was kind of like, like the floodgates opened right in Woodbine for some reason. And I was driving home in the middle of the day and cars were floating past on both sides. I have a SUV, so I'm a little higher and there was a big, big truck in front of me. So I said, if he goes, I'm going. And we were racing through these streets and getting back to the house and we're kind of up on a hill, which made it easier. But I remember driving into our cul-de-sac, it's a circle street, and every home had a waterfall just pouring down the front. Every home, it was that much rain coming down. And I came into the house and the first thing I said to Devin, babe, is our basement flooding? And uh, she's like, no, no, the kids are down there. They're playing right now. It's amazing. And I'm like, well, send them out. They got to come see this rain. It's crazy. It was, it was, do you guys remember July? Some of you do. So we brought them upstairs. We're down on the, in the front of, of the house on the deck. And it started hailing. It was amazing. Big, huge, snowing in, in July. And what happened was, uh, the kids were there, and they, were, they went out on the deck and jumping in the hail. It was a great experience. And my son got bored, which he does really quickly. And he, he, he went, down, went downstairs. Uh, and all I heard was a scream. <laughs> and he just started yelling. And Devin ran, and uh, we thought he tripped or, or something. She starts screaming. She's like, babe. Come here, the basement's flooding. And uh, it was a very surreal moment for all of us. I, uh, I, come down, I come downstairs to our basement, and brand new, you gotta remember, it's like weeks old. Everything's just crisp. And, and the, uh, the carpet's just floating, it's underneath the carpet. And I go, and I take my socks off, and I just start walking on this, and, and I'm in tears inside, not outside, of course. Just uh, feeling the emotion of this moment. And I just, I remember not knowing what to do. And I, I sent the family upstairs. And I just remember sitting on the stairs about six steps up, watching my basement fill with water. And uh, it was a great moment, actually, with the Lord. There's, that's for another message. He taught me a lot of things in that moment. And uh, <laughs> on controlling my emotions. But after, you know, long story short, the, the rain subsided outside, which was incredible because if it wouldn't have stopped raining, it would have kept filling. You know how that works, right? But when you turn the tap off, the water stops. Yeah, rocket science. So then about four inches in the basement, four or five inches, and then it just started to subside. So it was all rainwater. It was clean. It was cold. And uh, I remember as the water just had finally just left, I don't know, I didn't know where it left. 
I couldn't figure out where the leak was. The whole deal was going on in my head. So I called my neighbor behind me, and I called a buddy down the street. And, and James, uh, did you call me at that moment? Or I, I don't know what it was, but I said, you need to get over here and help. And we, uh, I'm looking at this basement, and I'm wondering to myself, how am I going to, and what am I going to do in this moment? And there was two ways to handle this situation, obviously. I just remember figuring out we need to get some shovels and some squeegees and just start pushing this water to the drain in the, uh, in the furnace room. And of course, that's a great way to look at it. But all said and done, if that's all that we would have done in that moment and never looked at actually where this water was coming in or how this happened, never got to the source, then we never would have figured out the real problem with the flood in my basement. We just would have dealt with the symptoms in that moment for that, that actual rainfall. And my wife had the great idea, and I give her the credit because she deserves it, and it was hers. She said, well, we need to figure out where this came from so we can, we can fix the source of the problem. So I just remember, look, we, we, after we ripped the carpet out, we started looking around, and we found out that when we did our bathroom in the basement, the... Um, the backflow valve in the basement was not, uh, the, the lid was not sealed properly. So when the water came back into the drains all over Woodbine, came right into our house, and it, the pressure was so strong that it popped that lid off and just flooded everything with fresh, clean water for the most part. And uh, it was an amazing moment for, uh, for, for me and, and for Devin and, uh, and some others that were there just recognizing what had taken place and the fact that it wasn't seepage, so everything was insured. It was amazing. Thank you, Jesus. And I, uh, but I, I, I share that story with you, and I'm sure some of you have the same experience. But really what I'm alluding to is fixing the symptom would never have long-term fixed the problem in our basement. We could have cleaned that place out, put brand new carpet in, and then when we had another torrential rainstorm, the same thing would have happened. Instead of going right to the source and fixing really what was the problem in that basement of ours. We can grab all the squeegees that we want, make all the money that we want, tighten up all that we want, be greedy as we want, but you'll never have enough squeegees to stop the flood until you figure out where the issue started and fix it at the source, figuratively speaking about each of our lives. God sends it down and we send it out without much thought. We could put those two words back up on the screen, shortage and supply. I'm almost done here tonight. Often he sends it down and we just send it out and we spend it and we control our lives based on the moment at times, make decisions based on how we're feeling. But in, flat, in fact, the supply that God has for us and what he wants us to do with it is really, as that arrow is showing, is sending it back up to him and letting him take over the details again in our lives, specifically in this area of, of, of finances. If you look at this bottle of water, if I was thirsty... And I needed a drink, and some of us have those moments every day where we just got to have water. 
if I just look at this water and I say I'm thirsty and I start to drink it, I'm going to get nothing out of this bottle unless I take that lid off, unless the cap is removed and the, the current or the, the flow of water is able to happen into my mouth. This is important to, re- to recognize for, for each of our lives. This concept, this principle relates to finances as well. Maybe it's not just a shortage, but rather a stoppage. God said that the he- in, in the heavens there's all that we need. If we will release what we have, we'll receive all that we need when we fix that flow, that current in our lives, when we take control over those things again and allow God to do what he wants to do, taking that lid off of the bottle. Like this. Mm. Delicious. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Malachi said, let's turn this this thing around. That's what he was doing in this passage. It doesn't necessarily need to be down and out, but rather up, up into the places that God wants us to take the provisions that he's given us, each of us, sending it up. Malachi said that we can get things going in the right direction if we send them back to the source. Sending them back to Jesus, back to the source where it all came from. We see this even in, in, in the New Testament with Christ and feeding the 5,000. And for the sake of time, I won't tell the story, but he took the seed of what was there and he turned it into something that overwhelmed every person present. In fact, he didn't just meet the need, but he created an abundance for every single person that was there that day. He did that. The supply was there. God said, I want to bless your life so much. I want to bless your life and my life and all of our lives so much. Each of us in this room, every single person. And I'm not just talking about finances, but I'm talking about all the areas that we feel a lack in. Every single one. My heart for each of you this evening is that you would be reminded, maybe for the first time in a long time, or maybe you've never heard this passage before, but I'm not coming here tonight with judgment or with uh, condemnation over your life. What I am saying is that all of us can tap into these provisions All of us can take hold of what it is that God wants to flow through us. But he's looking for those that he can trust. It's ultimately that way in anything. When we are given little and we do good with the little, then we're given much because he knows he can trust us with the much. And there's some of you in this room that are holding on to what you have, thinking that it's all that you'll get. And I would say that tonight God wants to say and remind you that that's just the beginning. If you would release that back to him, allow him to work in you and through you, it's amazing 
what kind of influence that you can have in this area. Taking the first fruits and giving them back to him. Through faith, through love, through obedience, which ultimately is is worship to our Father in heaven. If God can get it through us, then he'll get it to us. And that is an old saying, of course. But it's true. If he can work it through our lives, then he's going to get it to us in order to create a way for other people. Be those of, uh, that are generous, those that can give to those around us that are in need. Simply put, let's all stand tonight. Band could come up. I believe God wants to find a community, a group of people with with open hands that are willing to take a risk and allow God to flow great provisions through your life. How many of you want that for your life? To be a vessel that God can use? Yeah, all of us do. It doesn't come without, without trust, doesn't come without faith. It doesn't come at times without really taking a risk and saying, okay, God, I trust you with this. Because need is real and lack is something that we have all faced at some point in our life. But whether it's through those seasons of lack or the seasons of great provision, he wants us to remain faithful in what is in front of us. And I'd encourage you tonight, to consider what that means for you. That's not about giving to Tehillah or giving to First Assembly, but that's about being obedient to the things that he's called you to invest into and to stop holding on to it, stop gripping these things, thinking that if I let go of this, I'll have nothing, when in fact, he's waiting to give you so much more, so much more. And there's shortage all through this room. I believe that. There is, there is those here that have have been facing a real lack even in this moment, in this week. And God's just saying to you tonight, would you consider, would you consider just taking a step of faith and allowing me to take over again in your life? First and foremost, it's a relationship with Jesus. It starts there, amen? that's you tonight and even coming into this room and this is not a normal teaching it's something I really felt in my heart to, to, to touch on but what we are about in, in this room and in this group of people is just is, is, is the fact that we want to make sure that this city knows they're loved and knows that they are accepted and knows that there is a place for them to, to belong, to call home, and to call family. And if you're missing that in your life, my invitation to you tonight is that you would consider saying yes to Jesus. Because saying yes to Jesus is the greatest decision that you'll ever make. It's a decision that will create new space to, to believe and to think and to take risk and to trust because you're not fighting this fight on your own, but in fact, you are 
surrendering it to, to, to God. Can we all bow our heads real fast and just begin to pray? I would ask this question very simply. If that is you tonight and you would want to say yes to Jesus, to surrender your life to him, to give who you are, the control to God and say, I want to follow you with my heart. I don't have it all figured out, but I recognize that walking with Jesus is is the best decision that I can make. I want to commit my life to him. If that's you, can I just see by your hand tonight? Yeah, see those hands. Anybody else? I pray for you. Father, I thank you for my friends that have responded to your life, responded to your grace tonight, Lord. I pray that as they can make this commitment, that tonight would be a night where things are transformed. Maybe not everything that they can see right in front of them, Lord, but you are already beginning to breathe hope and breathe joy and breathe peace into their life, even in this moment, I pray. God, I ask that you would take their life and they would commit their every day to you, Lord, that they would ask you to forgive them of all the things in their life that they're holding on to, the sin in their life, the the control that they have been embracing for so long when, in fact, you said, come to me, and that they would do that. Give them the courage tonight, I pray, for these things. Amen. For the rest of us, before we, we close, we're just going to sing, Colin, if you don't mind, we're going to sing a song here before we, we close and open up the, uh, the time for ministry. But I just want you to take two minutes during worship here and really have that one-on-one with Jesus. Begin to ask him what this means for your life and that he would reveal some of these things to you. If he has not already, I'm sure there's many things, many thoughts all across this room that are taking place. But just take this time and and begin to ask the Lord what you need to give back to him. Whether it is your finances or it is your relationship or it is your job, your friendships, your future. And just take this moment to have a conversation with Jesus. And we'll sing this together. I'll come up and close. And again, we'll open this up in a few minutes for some ministry as well. But let's sing together, Colin.